Jeff and Allison and I Skyped last week and, um, mm-hmm. and it had a wonderful time doing it with a little bit of sound errors, but mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out how to get the Skype off of my computer, the Skype recording onto something else. And it was a battle. Gotcha. So may as well do it again because everybody has this time all of a sudden. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I'm going to try to just remember that we're recording here. And (laughs) it's March 29th, 2020. Um, Jeff Miller, Claire Forrester, and Shelly Smith are individually quarantined in various (laughs) parts of Washtenaw County. (laughs) Yeah. Because we're in the, we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's this surreal situation of, um, kind of a world shutdown trying to stop the spread of a virus and um, and it's the, the ripple effect of people losing their jobs, staying home, social isolation, um, plus people being creative, people being loving, people getting together anyway um, is is a very fascinating thing that we're living through right now. And um, so I wanted to keep doing reeds and weeds. I mean, one of the things I loved a couple of years ago when I thought about this is I always want to connect with my friends and have intentional conversations that aren't just kind of bullshit conversations. And that was hard to do. People were distracted and heading to the next thing and had a hard time being present. And I realized if I could just sit down with my friends and we could talk about books or things that we loved and make it important enough to keep as an appointment, that would really make me happy. Mm -hmm. So now more than ever, I didn't want to stop doing it because even though we can't be sitting in each other's presence and passing a joint or, you know, toasting mm-hmm. each other and going out to McNose after and all that, then we can still do it and still stay connected. And, and poetry for me is, um, is one of the things in my life that makes me feel the most real emotions. It helps me connect to my most real emotions in a way that a lot of other things can't. Mm-hmm. And, and the last week or two, have been some emotions I haven't even ever really felt before, probably. So um, everything from like total peace and sort of dependence upon God in the universe to existential dread and like the awareness that, you know, perhaps the human race is going to 
fall down a couple notches and we're going to live through it and see how that goes. And so I felt all these emotions that have been very real. And so it feels like the right time right now to read some poetry with my friends. Mm-hmm. So before we dig yeah. into that, and these are the two people that I want to read poetry with. I've read poetry before with Claire and uh, I can't wait to see what you want to read. Um, every time I do a Zoom, I'm all like, oh, yeah, I need to remember what I look like. <laughs> I can't just be like the wild animal that I am in my apartment. Um, so, I have this scarf here covering my pajamas. So. <laughs> you look elegant, actually. You look gorgeous. Uh, I was just like, look at Claire. She's all like her hair. Y'all both look fucking gorgeous. I need uh, a haircut. Real <laughs> you look great. I had for a while, I, I was, you know, Skyping with people and all of a sudden I realized like, okay, the reality is I've worn that flannel for way too long now. <laughs> <laughs> One day be like, I'm sorry, I need to wash you. Um, so I want to just, before we get in and start talking about poetry, tell me how you guys are doing. Claire, I haven't talked to you. So tell me a quick scenario about Claire in this situation. <laughs> Uh, well, um, you know, I'm crying every day if that uh, answers the question as simply as possible. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I have like insane anxiety, kind of generally speaking. Um, and I am definitely an empath. So the like collective. Uh, chaos and trauma that's kind of happening right now um like I have a really hard time filtering it out um so sometimes I just have to be like well okay we're gonna have this insane panic attack right now and sit down and get through it so um that was me last Sunday so I guess this Sunday is a little bit better although um you know I've had other bad days this week. And what is a day any longer, you know? So, yeah. Um, well, so, yeah so. How about practically? Like, are you working from home? Are you, yes. do you have what yes. you need? Uh, yeah, I, I moved into a sublet, like, well, two weeks ago yesterday. Um, because long story short, um, I uh, lost a bunch of like dog sits that I was supposed to be doing, which were my sanity keeper from living with my parents right now because of my surgery that's coming up, blah, blah, blah. When I lost those sits, I was like, uh-oh, a GTFO, um, and was like immediately uh, tried to find a sublet. I looked at a place on Wednesday, moved in the next Saturday, which was two weeks ago Saturday. So... Um, so yeah, so I'm, I have this like new living situation, but still I'm working from home. I was working remotely before, so it didn't, it just like felt weird in a lot of ways, but then also not like I hadn't changed anything, but everything had changed, you know? So it was just like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so two weeks now I'm just here doing it and I don't know if my surgery is even going to happen in June so just like great my life is on hold again you know indefinitely so I just am like not having a great time but obviously very privileged to 
still be working, to have, you know, a roof over my head, to know that my parents are okay. Um, everyone I know is doing a really good job of taking care of themselves. Um, so that's good to see. Um, but yeah, there's just like so much anxiety that um, day by day. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Jeff? Um, you know, it's somewhat similar. It's like, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, even though I have like plenty of stuff to pass the time. Although I, I feel pretty bored despite all the stuff to pass my time, but, um, because I'm not working, but yeah, my like anxiety and my codependency to like manage everything in my family and like check on them and make sure everyone's getting along, it's like ramped up to the max, which is, it's always there, but it's like now it's, yeah, I so I have to like not call them every day. And it's not even like, for me, it's not even, I mean, it's a little bit like if they're safe and like doing the proper things, which they are. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's like, is everyone getting along at home? And it's like, it's not really my responsibility. And I've always mm -hmm. known that, but I also, it's hard for me to help myself from like, whoops, um, freaking out about that. So I'm learning and I've done, I had a couple bad days like earlier this week, you know, it was like my anxiety was like through the roof. Um, and then I just kind of, I'm doing better since then. So, I mean, but overall I'm, I'm doing pretty well, you know I mean? There's, yeah, like you said, I still feel, I mean, I'm not working, but otherwise I'm very privileged. I mean, I have tons of books to read movies to watch, food, you know, I go outside every day. It, it's fine. But yeah, it's just like, I read this thing yesterday that someone shared that was, um, yes, people are feeling anxious, but it's also, it's like grief. It's like an open-ended grief because you don't know what's mm -hmm. going to happen. You don't know yeah. what, like, stuff you're going to have to give up um, yeah. in the short or long term. And I don't even mean, like, necessarily, like, people, although I'm sure that's part of it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like what, like it, the world won't be the same and that could be good. Hopefully we can yeah. turn it into, you know, some positive changes, but yeah, you know, I'm doing pretty good, obviously a little anxious. So yeah, yeah. but like, like Claire said that <laughs> I am a lot anyway. So it's just, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I keep thinking about just like, okay, they're going to get testing and may take weeks, but it's going to yeah. happen. You know, they're yeah. going to eventually, and that will be like step one, hopefully out of it. Yeah. Um, and I agree. I hope things change. Um, but I think to speak of grief, I, I read an article, I think in the Harvard business review um, that was about grief Um basically interviewing the guy who wrote the book on grief. Um, and that what's really scary to me, um, and as a recruiter, um, I, I had a sense of this because I was talking to people kind of across the country over the past few weeks. Um, and people's attitudes definitely really shifted one, one week to another. Um, but to speak of the denial, um, that stage of grief that a lot of people are still in um not anyone that i know um but you know obviously entire states essentially mm -hmm. entire governors entire i mean you know uh 
state, local governments, um, and obviously we know that there's a certain uh, stream of information that, um, or streams of information that are feeding into that denial, um, and that's really scary to me and dangerous, obviously. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, um, one of the things, if you guys, you know, not right now, <laughs> but at any time, um, you need like, I don't know if you have the ability when you're feeling really anxious to reach out to someone, but, um, or if it helps to talk to someone who's calm, but mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm, I hope some shit crumbles actually, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm being a hundred percent, we're, cucumber. I'm just, I'm just saying like, we're part of the earth. We're part of an organism yeah. and sometimes yeah. organisms just like our bodies correct themselves, you know, like when, when the, the tsunami happened in Indonesia, it was like 230,000 people whoosh, just like swept away mm -hmm. that day. You know, so the thing about a virus that you can't see is like, really, I've had a great walk today. I made breakfast. I've been sewing masks. I've been talking to my friends. Like my actual reality is pretty sweet. I'm safe. I have what I need. You know, the existential fear of people that in my mind, I guess, what that is telling me is that they are there's I feel like there's more anxiety for people who are super connected to the prop ups of the modern world right and when the prop ups of the modern world that we depend on for our sort of structure and safety start to crumble it's um it's this soul exposure that's kind of like oh, we're vulnerable and we're part of this organism of the world and that's fucking real right now. And so, but also humans always have been and we have survived as a species and the deal is, is if a meteor comes and smashes into us, we're donezo, you know, or if the, the tsunami comes, we're donezo. There's people that just got over their last hurricane. There's people who just mm -hmm. got out of their 26 chemo, the homeless people. Like there's people that, that, you know, what I think is very interesting and then we'll, we'll move on. But um, I've been thinking like if three weeks ago you were, uh, like an immune compromise, maybe you were a cancer patient, but you didn't have any health insurance, maybe you were homeless or underemployed, and you knew you couldn't get the treatment you needed, and you also, your allergies were acting up, then like nothing has changed for you. You were already immune compromised, sick, no health care, you, you know, so I feel like there's yeah. a there's a leveling right now. That a leveling that reminds us that we're all in the same kind of, we're all in it together is what I'm saying. Anyway, lots of, lots of thoughts, lots of thoughts. So um, I will go ahead and tell you about this. I have been, what I do with it, I've been sewing masks. So these little bags of masks, there's six nice. there. And so the Michigan Cannabis Industry Association decided to, oh, here they are. This is what they look like. 
<laughs> um, so I've made about 90 of these this week. Wow. And um, we're delivering them because the essential services, we, we fought to have the essential cannabis be deemed an essential service because so many people use it for anxiety or pain or whatever, like it was deemed wow. an essential service. And um, so we have to deliver but it can only be delivery or curbside. So we're trying to get these masks to like every cannabis worker in Michigan. And my director, Robin's mother has been sewing and sewing and sewing and sewing for like, she's made hundreds of these. She's better seamstress than me. Like I had to borrow a machine, figure it out, you know, but that's been a very interesting thing. Like all of a sudden I'm like, I just became a seamstress during a pandemic. Like that, that's strange, you know, um, unexpected life turn. It's an unexpected life turn, but I tell you something about sitting in the kitchen, like drinking coffee, smoking weed, sewing, like listening to the radio. <laughs> it's really nice, <laughs> but okay. Yeah. So, um, you guys picked out some poetry to read, Jeff. Oh, please let it be lightning. Oh, yes. Oh, please let it be lightning by Ada Limon. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. I think I am. <laughs> the first Ada, Ada, Ada Limon in Spanish. Ada Limon. Okay. All right. Here we go. Oh, please let it be lightning. We were crossing the headwaters of the Susquehanna River in our new car. We didn't quite have the money for, but it was slick and silver, and we named it after the local strip club next to the car wash the Spearmint Rhino. And this wasn't long after your mother said she wasn't sure if one of your ancestors died in childbirth or was struck by lightning. There just wasn't anyone left to set the story straight. And we started to feel old and it snowed. The ice and salt and mud on the car made it look like how we felt on the inside. The dog was asleep in my lap. We had seven more hours before our bed in the bluegrass would greet us like some southern cousin we forgot we had. Sometimes you just have to look around at the life you've made and sort of nod at it, like someone moving their head up and down to a tune they like. New York City seemed years away and all the radio stations had unfamiliar call letters and talked about God, the one that starts his name with a capital and wants you not to get so naked all the time. Sometimes there seems to be a halfway point between where you've been and everywhere else, and we were there. All the trees were dead, and the hills looked flat like in a real bad landscape painting somewhere in some nowhere gallery off an interstate, but still, it looked kind of pretty. Not because of the snow, but because you somehow found a decent song on the dial, and there you were, with your marvelous mouth, singing full-lunged, driving full speed into the gloomy thunderhead, glittery and blazing and alive. And it didn't matter what was beyond us or what came before us or what town we lived in or where the money came from or what new night might leave us hungry and reeling. We were simply going forward, riotous and windswept and all too willing to be struck by something shiny and mad and so furiously hot it could kill us. Mm. <laughs> See, she snapped. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Can I read a quick Ada Limon poem that I love that 
is actually like really dear to me. It's yes. a short one. Yes, okay. yes. I don't I don't know what book it's from. Um, Claire, what is it called? Uh, I'll, I have a screenshot of it. I'll send it to you. It's called What I Didn't Know Before. Okay. <laughs> Ada Limon, what I didn't know before was how horses simply give birth to other horses. Not a baby by any means, not a creature of liminal spaces, but a four-legged beast hell-bent on walking, scrambling after the mother. A horse gives way to another horse. And then suddenly there are two horses just like that. That's how I loved you. You off the long train from Red Bank, carrying a coffee as big as your arm, a bag with two computers swinging in it unwieldily at your side. I remember we broke into laughter when we saw each other. What was between us wasn't a fragile thing to be coddled, cooed over. It came out fully formed, ready to run. Yeah, that one's awesome. I've heard that before too. That's been, yeah. Have you been writing, Have you been writing? Pardon? Have you been writing? No. Um, only to keep myself like only in a therapeutic sense. Yeah. Um, and like specifically things I'm working on in therapy. Um, oh, okay. Um, I mean, I haven't written poetry in a very, very long time. Uh, will you will you read Jeff? Will you read Jeff the the toast? Your toast. My toast. You 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 wrote this beautiful toast for your friend's <gasps> wedding, oh, and it was yeah. It I was could read poem. that. Jeff, I think yeah. you're gonna love this. She she may have she yeah. may have read this on the show before. That's so. That's the last poem I've got. That's I mean that's really poetry is so difficult. <laughs> um, but also is one of those things that's very difficult to write, but it also is so familiar and such a, um, a, a I, I don't even know how to describe it. When I'm there, I'm there, but it's very hard to get there. Yeah. Is the best, easiest way yeah. to explain it. Yeah. Let me see if I can, I know it's here somewhere. It'll just take me a second to <clears throat> find it. So this was for my one of my best friends from college got married over the summer. And um oh, come on. I might have to find it on my computer. Um and he married a woman with two young girls who is a couple year couple, like several years older than him. Um, and anyway, so I'm not really sure how much of that like background is necessarily like what comes through in, mm-hmm. um, or like how much just, that's necessary. Yeah, but, no, um, I think it's just wonderful. It, it was the relationship where they felt like they felt like their families were really questioning them, and um, particularly him, you know, being younger, and um, they also like um met in kind of a funky way and just like really fell in love very quickly see um, I, I guess I didn't uh, know that part and I love knowing that part okay yeah so maybe that will be a little what the mf where is this shit <laughs> 
That's like the other one. It was just like instantly fully formed. It's like that sometimes. Yeah. 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 Okay. I found it. Oh, this is great. I'm so excited. Okay. So I'll also read the introduction because, uh, yeah, that's kind of nice. Um, so this was for my friend, Scott. Um, we went to college together, uh, which means uh, we would have been friends for now 14 years in the fall. Um, I remember the day we met vividly, which I can't say for many people I know. So thank you, Scott and Amanda, um, both of you for inviting me to write something for your wedding day and for the opportunity to reflect on magnetism and the logic of love. Um, thank you especially to the sun and Lake Superior. The, the wedding took place in Marquette right on the water. Um, so thank you especially to the sun and Lake Superior. This is what the day has given us. And it's called In the Universe of Love. In the very same moments that we are congregated here at the mercy of this body of water, at the mercy of this sky, beyond any clouds that we may see, beyond the atmosphere of our earth, the planets travel in their orbits to get where they are going. We arrived here orbiting too. Each of us a planet drawn to the gravity of now, right now, and in awe of systems merging. It has taken all of us to compose this constellation. Family and friends pausing ever so briefly in the epic scheme of thin things to witness an alchemy of lives. You may be wondering, because we are all concerned with the origins of things, where did their paths first dovetail? I'll tell you it was an unexpected collision. I'll tell you the great force of which caused even the ice to shiver to break out in goosebumps. Don't ask me how. The only magic I know is how we move and change one another, often swiftly, profoundly, where we were once traveling in the illusion of our separateness, we can no longer see ourselves as we once were. Conventions are irrelevant to this magic. Everything is becoming. So what would you have us do with this when inspection with a magnifying glass reveals kaleidoscope vision, where what appears as simple addition is exponential? What would you have us do with this? The new self affected onto us by joy, pure joy. What would you have us do with this? The glow of a true self and a true self and the source of a river of laughter. What would you have us do with this? The worthy challenge of putting our arms out and up, holding them there every day. What are the rules in the universe of love? Only to understand. To recognize a nervous man as a caring man the first time you meet. The children did that only to support, to repeat, if you fall, I will catch you, if you fall, I will catch you, only to build the home, to keep it, to tend it, to put the shoes in their right place, only to improve ourselves in the name of the other, the other in the name of wholeness, only to trust, to tell our secrets, to lean in, to wonder out loud, only to adventure, to be infinite. 
What are the rules in the universe of love? Only to love, to love. Mm. That's amazing. No. I've read, I've shared that with so many people. I love it so much. Good, good, good. Ah. Oh, good. Oh, my God. (laughs) I can snap and I don't even like to snap. Thank you. Oh, Claire, that's so beautiful. Like, you can tell tell that you know them intimately. Mm -hmm. And that's great, knowing the backstory. But if you knew nothing, if you just found that laying on a table on a piece of paper, it would still be so wonderful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, it's really great. (sighs) And it... What I love about poetry is I can get, I can be completely scatterbrained or I can Mm -hmm. be hyper-focused. And there's something about poetry to take me out of this and into that picture so quickly, into that Mm hard to define feeling of chemistry and chance and love and ah well i was i i had thought about reading a poem of my own and actually there's one that i've been thinking about a lot lately um that i wrote in college but unfortunately i don't have it on the computer the only poem i know i'll have to do it another time when i can get to my hard drive um but now that I'm thinking about it, if you don't mind me reading one more of my oh, own, although you know maybe we'll let Jeff go first and then I'll another time. Well, I want to read. I want to read a valediction forbidding you, morning. You read. I okay. want to read valediction. So, valediction forbidding morning um, was. I remember I was in middle school or high school when I first, you know, in some English class, and. It's one of those things you read as a young person, or I would anyway, where I'm like, why is the language like this? Too complicated. I'm a teenager, <laughs> you know, just like, ugh. And then you realize like, oh, I, I actually want to understand it. Something changes in your brain. You want to understand it. And when you understand what's being expressed and how beautiful it is and how beautiful the language is, then all of a sudden I'm like, okay. I'm in. Poetry's awesome. <laughs> you know, love everything about it. Nothing could be better. And it, um, my memory of being triggered by this poem was just because of a couple of images that came through. So I'm going to read it. I sent you the picture on the on your phone if you want to like read along, but I'll read it. So a valediction forbidding morning. As virtuous men pass mildly away and whisper to their souls to go, while some of their sad friends do say, the breath goes now, and some say, no. So let us melt and make no noise, no tear floods, nor sigh tempest move, toward profanation of our joys to tell the laity our love. Moving of the earth brings harms and fears. Men reckon what it did and meant but trepidation of the spheres, though greater far, is innocent. Dull, sublunary lovers love, whose soul is sense, cannot admit absence, because it doth remove those things 
which elemented it. But we by a love so much refined that ourselves know not what it is, enter assured of the mind, care less, eyes, lips, and hands to miss. Our two souls, therefore, which are one, though I must go, endure not yet a breach, but an expansion like gold to airy thinness beat. If they be two, they are two so as swift, stiff twin compasses or two. Thy soul, the fixed foot, makes no show to move, but doth if the other do. And though it in the center sit, yet when the other far doth roam, it leans and hearkens after it and grows erect as that comes home. Such wilt thou be to me, who must, like the other foot, obliquely run, thy firmness makes my circle just and makes me end where I begun. Hmm. Okay. Do you know that one, Claire? No, no. I never really had much of like a classical poetry training, which... Sometimes I'm just like, oh, man, I call myself a poet and I like haven't really read that much. I'm judging you. I mean, I don't (laughs) fucking know. Um, I kind of came up in more of a spoken word contemporary poetry scene in Ann Arbor here um, as a high schooler. So um, I read more just like folks who, um, you know, were essentially my my mentors were in kind of the same cohort or age as, as my mentor, Jeff Cass. Um, so we read a lot of that. Um, and sometimes I'm kind of like, oh, I really need to like, particularly if I ever started writing again or performing and having any kind of like real engagement in the poetry community. Um, I feel like I would need to do some homework, but, um, but anyway, to say, no, it's not, not, but I love it, you know. I think that um, the old stuff, particularly like Emily Dickinson, is something that I would really love to just like delve into a lot, um, but have never really given myself the opportunity. The picture of that, it took me a while to figure out what all the images and references were. And I think I told Jeff this a teacher took a compass you know, and stuck the needle in and like drew a circle, you know, like did like this and was like a stiff twin compasses. You're the fixed foot and this leans out and comes back. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. the brain went, oh, yeah. Oh, that's what mm-hmm. that means. Oh my God. <laughs> and and uh, I'm thinking about this the other day because I had not cried that much and mm-hmm. in the last week or two, I hadn't really cried that much. I kind of just got to work. I kind of just got like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be a warrior right now. <laughs> like I, I yeah. started, just started becoming like survivalist warrior training right away. Like meditate, order water filters, get my core strong. <laughs> you know, I just got like motivated. And then I was driving on the road and I saw something that reminded me of my friend Mark, who's in Chicago. And, uh, and I started thinking about the last time I hung out with Mark and all these guys that hang out at the yellow house that work at home. And, and all of a sudden I was just like, I love my friend <laughs> and just started bawling because the idea of seeing Mark or 
are you, or, you know, it was seemed like such a sweet, profound interaction that I could never take for granted again, just to run up and, you know, like you're at the top of the park in the summer and you run up and you grab a whole bunch of people and you hug them, you high five, mm. share beer. And all of a sudden my heart was just breaking for everybody being separated from each other. And I was bawling. Mm. So this, mm -hmm. when I read, every time I read this poem, I think about that angst that we have at being separated from someone and the comfort of thinking of it mm. is like, even though we're apart, do you know what I mean? Like we're going apart and we're coming back together mm -hmm. and we're going apart and coming back together. This like, mm -hmm. don't be so sad that we're apart and miss my physical presence. Know that we're connected and I'm going to go out and we're going to be expanded. Our love is now expanded Right. So all those people that are connected and loving long distances, it's needed. You know, it's it's knowing that we're connected. We don't have to be connected physically. No. So mm -hmm. that's what I love. That's very true. And, I, and I'm one of the things that I was hoping that would be a positive change is that. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. But like when we can see each other and hug each other. Mm -hmm. and embrace each other i'm hoping that a lot of us will not take that so much for granted because yeah. I, mean, I certainly mm -hmm. do and i'm not saying i will never not do it but i'm hoping that i will not do it as much or you know like you know just appreciate my friends and my loved ones and like other not just even people just like other stuff that that I love, you know, I'm hoping that could be a positive change for a lot of people. Cause it's like, I know like, cause there's a lot of like sentiment up there's like, Oh my God, you can stay home and create an art, art and all this stuff. And I feel like that's kind of like putting pressure on it. It's just like, no, it's kind of okay to stay home and do yeah. nothing mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. <laughs> cry. And, but out of that can come sort of, the awareness of what's important and the appreciation of what's important. And it's not like we didn't know it before, but now maybe we can understand it a little better. I don't know. That's my hope anyway. Maybe it's just for me. I mean, I hope, other, you know, it's a little obviously individual. Yeah. So, yeah. Because I'm probably the first time that someone gives me a hug and like doesn't let me go right away. I'll probably start crying. I'm yeah. crying. I'll cry thinking about it. I'm yeah. crying thinking about it. You know, like this morning, I was on yeah. virtual church, like Blue Ocean Faith has a Zoom church. And and mm -hmm. during the sermon that the last week, last week and today, they just have the five or six people that are kind of leading things on the screen mm -hmm. and everybody else is. But right in the last 15 minutes, they, you know, the organizer came in and goes, OK, I'm going to stop the recording and just start. Basically, she started making everybody active on the screen and we all started popping up and waving at each other like, oh, there's you, there's you. And I just started bawling because <laughs> I was like, I miss your faces. It just was, it just hit me, you know, mm -hmm. um, to feel it, to feel it so, so clearly. So, um, yeah. okay. So, uh, Claire, are you ready with your next one or Jeff? No, I want Jeff to read another one. <laughs> Would you, right. Which one? Are you going to do a Jeff Harrison or another? What do you want to do? Uh, <laughs> I had decided, but now let me see real quick. Okay. 
Um, I loved all the ones you did last time. The, what the Jim Harrison? I can yeah, do it again. I mean, I have I, I have some other Jim Harrison. I have obviously Mary Oliver. Oh yeah. I have Ted Kuzer. Kuzer. I never never said his name out loud before. Um, let me find that other one. I can do the other one again. I'm so happy that I've arranged my life in a way that I can say, hey, who wants to read poetry over Zoom? And people, I have several <laughs> responses. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's a very lucky position to be in. No doubt. Let's see if I can. I'm looking through my, I did realize that I had sent um, a manuscript of my poems to a friend of mine um, sometime last year. It was my manuscript, my undergraduate manuscript, because um, I did creative writing for undergrad. And I just have been like flipping through it. And I'm just like, oh my God, like some of them are not just relevant to kind of what's going on right now, but also what's going on in my life, like a personal shit right now. And I'm just like, oh my God, like this is insane. Because how many years ago was that? How many years ago? This would have been when I graduated from college, um, 2009. However, some of the poems I would have written, you know, in like the four or five years preceding that. Yeah. So the other one that I was thinking, which it was for whatever reason, oh, actually it was because my friend asked me about it. This poem, she teaches poetry in New York and she asked me about a specific poem um, that was another the one that I was like oh maybe I'll read this one too um because it kind of reminded me a little bit of what you were talking about Shelley as far as like the earth and um um anyway I have no idea which one I'm going to read now but okay, <laughs> okay think, yeah. think about it and Jeff we'll see what we'll see what I'll just read the other ones since I, I have other ones I can read but uh okay yeah I'll read the same it's Jim Harrison Okay. He was a favorite author of mine. He's a poet, novelist. He's from, I mean, he's passed away a couple of years ago, but he's, I think in 2016, there was like another strike against that year. <laughs> but anyway, all right, this is, it's called Spring. Something new in the air today, perhaps the struggle of the bud to become a leaf. Nearly two weeks late, it invaded the air, but then what is two weeks to life herself? On a cool night, there is a break from the struggle of becoming. I suppose that's why we sleep. In a childhood story, they spoke of the land of enchantment. We crawl to it, we short-lived mammals, not realizing we are already there. To the gods, the moon is the entire moon, but to us it changes second by second because we are always fish in the belly of the whale of the earth. We are encased and can't stray from the house of our bodies. I could say that we are released, but I don't know. In our private night, when our souls explode into a billion fragments, then calmly regather in a black pool in the forest, far from the cage of flesh, the unremitting eye. This was a dream, and in dreams we are forever alone, walking the ghost road beyond our lives. Of late, I see waking as another chance at spring. The end. I think I might kind of. I like it that you say the end, Jeff. I think I might have messed up one of the lines. Like, I think I might have like, you know how if you don't 
it has like a certain rhythm and I'm like reading yeah. it out loud. I don't quite, and I talked about this last time. So for me, it's like, like when I'm doing a play, um, it takes a while for me to uh, like sort of absorb the words into my body. And then like I memorize them, even if I've them memorized, it's not, I have to like internalize them and make them my own. And then it comes out for me in a clear mm-hmm. way. Yeah. So probably you don't even notice this, but I'm always like, I, until I get to that point, I'm kind of judging how I'm reading it because I want to do it justice. So I think I like sort of did a run on line there. It might not have made sense. But anyway, I like it because it's like, you know, it mentions the land of enchantment and it's like, we're all, it's always like people are putting off to later. It's like, okay, my happiness can be later. I can enjoy this thing after I do this other thing. Um, you know, it's kind of, it doesn't specifically say, but it's like kind of like tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And it's like, no, today. It's like, you know, in waking is, we already live in the land of enchantment and, you know, the earth is right out there. And, you know, every day can be spring, like a new chance to sort of mm. live, I guess. Yeah. So anyway. Did y'all go outside this morning? I love it. I haven't been outside today. I sat on the porch this morning. So I just watched, so it rained, obviously, poured all night, you know. And so I went Mm -hmm. for a long walk between like 10 and 11, 15 or so, all around Ipsy, my normal little route. But Riverside Park is like Mm. a lake. (laughs) Like there's huge swaths. Huge swaths of Frog, Frog Island, the track around Frog Island was just like a moat. Like it was just, a, it was, and, and there was people just kind of walking by and there was ducks like going across because, and geese, because like yeah. the water was so far into the park. It was so yeah. flooded there and it was totally beautiful. It was sunny, mm. the water's just mm-hmm. rushing and the, and people are just kind of like, huh. So this too, you know, it's just a little, you know that part of a post-apocalyptic movie where there's just like deer walking down mm-hmm. you know, Times Square, nature. and he's like, "Nature gonna nature." Yeah, and everybody's yeah. like, "Okay, yeah, that's a there's a deer, there's a deer, there's deer in Madison Square Garden or whatever." And it's just horrible. <laughs> it was one of those mm-hmm. quick quick glimpses of like, yeah, we're, we're just accepting the weirdness that's it's rolling over right now it's like oh yeah Mm. too um i figured it would be like that because i did walk there yesterday and even yesterday it was like really the banks were overflowing and i was like while it was raining last night i was like it's gonna be totally flooded down (laughs) Mm -hmm. so say lovey yeah i think i looked up this this man after the last time we talked about him because there's He's pretty contemporary, right? You said he only died a few years ago and he's from Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, he died. Yeah, Jim Harrison. Yeah, he died. He was like, you know, he wrote... The most famous thing that he wrote was... He wrote a novella that... Be, I mean, he wrote a couple of movies, but like they, the Legends of the Fall. The movie, oh, really? It's, well, he wrote it as a novella. He has like all these novellas. Like each one has like three novellas in it and they're all... I mean, they're not... I like them. And... Um, yeah, he was contemporary. So there's a like, you know, he's sort of like a lover of literature, but also like just 
the natural world. Um, so there's, you know, they always take place in like Michigan or Montana or Arizona. Yeah. Not always, but like, yeah. And it's like, and the characters are always kind of like, I think of them as like, sort of, they're like average people, but they're sort of voracious. Like they want to, and I'm wondering if that was like him in real life. Like he, you know, it's like they want to consume, not in a bad way, not to like, not in a destructive way. They just want to like live. Like they want to, they want to eat, you know, like, you know, not quite in a gluttonous way, but it's like they want to try everything. It's like they want to like, you know, read all the books, you know, name all the birds, um, eat all the rich <laughs> food, uh, you know, make love in the field or like spend the whole week with your lover. Whatever. It's just like they want to like, mm. they're kind of like voracious um, mm, or yeah. a lot of them are. So I kind of like that because it's like, you know, I don't think a lot of people are like that or maybe they have the impulse, but they kind of like tamp it down and maybe mm -hmm. should tamp it down sometimes, obviously. <laughs> right. Right. Depending yeah. on how it, how it manifests itself, like some appetite right. exactly. should yeah. be tamped down, but, yeah, for sure. but the, the, there's a line in there that's like, what is two weeks in the life? Something like what is two oh, weeks yeah. in life? It says, uh, wait, wait. Wait, where'd it go? What is that line? It says, um, oh, it's about this, a bud, but it says nearly, the, the bud was, near, it says nearly two weeks late, but what is too late? Nearly two weeks late, but what is two weeks to life herself? It's nothing, yeah. you know? Yeah, so, so that was... 200 years is nothing. Yeah, it Very just relevant. struck me, it just struck yeah. me as like, our last two weeks have felt like this, traumatic upheaval existential crisis mm -hmm. <laughs> all the veils that we've ever had in front of our eyes falling down like kind of time but really spring is just normal do you know what i mean mm -hmm. the docks the rain the pollen yeah. you know that's just happening and the earth's just like just the earth's just not paying attention to this blip of a human experience <laughs> and it's kind of comforting to me because no. you know there's there's been mm -hmm. animals and plants and things like that that were decimated for a season there's been potato famine there's been mm -hmm. too many ladybugs on the farm or whatever there's been locusts but like it's almost never humans mm -hmm. and it's interesting, yeah. <laughs> but it's comforting to me to think about time just as an earthly, that the, it's a blip, yeah. you know, the last two weeks is just like the earth going, oh, we're going to shift slightly and start spring. And it, mm -hmm. it's paying no attention to all of our panic. It's just carrying on. So yeah. that is very comforting to me. I got another one that, that can go with that. Okay. Sorry, I was having a little snack. <laughs> <laughs> so this this is by this uh, man, man. <laughs> Tech top, it's called his name is Ted Kuzer. Then him and Jim Harrison were actually friends. This man is alive, as far as I know. Not that that's relevant to right now, but I mean it's good that person. Anyway, um, 
and this is not from this, but actually they have a book of poetry that they like co-wrote. It's called, I forgot the name, but it's like a conversation in poetry. So they're each like little short snippets and they go back and forth and, and they're not attributed. So you don't know who wrote each one because they said that doesn't matter. Oh, cool. It's really cool. I mean, I, you know, there's like, for example, anyway, I don't have anything right now, but it, that one's cool. But this, anyway, this one is sort of a relevant, sort of relevant to that other, what, what we were just talking about. So anyway, wow, I'm scatterbrained. It's called Tectonic, <laughs> Tectonics, Ted Kuzer. In only a few months, there will begin to be fissures in what we remember. And within a year or two, the facts break apart one from another and slowly begin to shift and turn, grinding, pushing up over each other until their shapes have been changed and the past has become a new world. And after many years, even a love affair, one lush green island all to itself, perfectly detailed, with even a candle softly lighting a smile, may slide under the waves like Atlantis, scarcely rippling the heart. I like that mm. too, because it's like, mm. not, it's it, that, like it, on the surface, it's like, oh, the a love affair, even that ends, which is somewhat sad. But then it's, I first read it after I had a breakup. So it was like, oh, you know, it was good while it lasted. But it, even like nothing lasts forever, I guess, is the point mm. of that. You know, and, and even what we remember from years ago is not, we only remember a little bit of it. You know, it's just kind of. Yeah a life goes on type thing to me. Anyway. Yeah. How old were you Y2K? Claire, you were really young, weren't you? I was in eighth grade. You were in eighth grade Y2K. Yeah. Jeff, how old were you? 19. 19. Okay. It's that's, I've been thinking about that lately. I've been thinking about similar feelings as this and how like I had to evacuate <clears throat> college because of a hurricane mm. Mm. and we were all like do do going about our lives and then it was like no no <laughs> out yeah. and and, yeah. and it was like the the highways were turned around and then we came back we had curfews we couldn't drink the water you know it was there were boats in the middle of the road places were gone it was, so was that katrina no 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 it was hugo it's a long time oh. ago. where did you go to college Charleston, South Carolina. So everything changed. We in our psychology class, we were always taking PTSD surveys because they were doing <laughs> studies. You know, did yeah. you stay during the hurricane? Because some people were like, "I'm not leaving," you know, and they were trying to make everybody yeah. leave. They were evacuating the area, and and it was kind of like this, and that we were like, "Woohoo, hurricane party!" And then it was like, "Oh no, this shit is real." And yeah. then this was pre kind of heavy internet and it was, uh, we didn't know anything. Like yeah. we were just watching the news, like mom, am I going back to college? Is, is college still there? Like we didn't know. And then when we went mm -hmm. back, it was just like everybody going, how do we do this? How do we, do we start back where we stopped? Do we allow people out at night? Like the, it was just a mess. It was a disaster. We were going back to school during a disaster and then I thought about Y2K mm -hmm. and how there were all these people in this church group I used to be a part of, nervous and anxious about Y2K. And 
And then there was others of us that were like, well, don't we all kind of have faith in God? Like, why are we freaking out about numbers (laughs) changing? No, Shelly, you don't understand. Banks are going to fail and planes are going to fall out of the sky. Like everybody was sure. That's how my church was too. That's how my church was too. Yeah. And and we were like, no, 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 no. Everybody's going to be fine. Like, so it was this very scary thing, depending on who you were around for a couple of weeks. Everybody was like, Y2K, you know, so I've just been thinking about those big things that seem so scary that are now like, oh, yeah, it was Hurricane Hugo. <laughs> it's like a one sentence mm-hmm. story, yeah. you know, it's like me going, oh, yeah, I went through a divorce. It was really publicly shameful, devastating. <laughs> a lot of people left my life anyway. <laughs> Blah, you know, that story used to take three days to tell, you know, and so when I think about right. going through a big, mm-hmm. epic, scary thing, it's like, at some point, it's like that person that you're talking to who was went through World War II, and they're like, it was hard, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah. it was it can like, be major. yeah, it doesn't minimize it, it's just like, well, it just it, goes, goes it, along, it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because it's like in the moment, it never feels like it will end or it's like the worst thing. And it may be at the time, the very worst thing. I mean, you can't really think that. It's hard not to think that like in your, when you're in the situation. But right. I guess well, I'll, at least, least you that I'm, means you've processed the trauma. You know what I mean? If absolutely. You were continuing, yeah. If you were continuing to feel like it was a story requiring of you retelling it over and over, I'd be like, I think maybe you need to see a therapist about like processing this so it's not so yeah so it's not so present you know but obviously um yeah sounds like you sounds like you're over that (laughs) well and just thinking about even just this too shall pass like that poem just this too shall pass you know just even that thing that seems like such the most big important thing, the memory of it will be like, ah, you know, yeah. that's, it's just the perspective of it. Right. Of yeah. A long life and mm-hmm. the memories that just kind of come in and out from that. It's comforting. <laughs> so what did, uh, what did Jeff's poem inspire you to read Claire? Well, it just confirmed that I definitely have to read this one. Okay. <laughs> Both of them, actually. Okay. Um, and you will see why. Um, so this I wrote my senior year in high school, or like right after my senior year of high school, I think. Um, so uh, 15 years ago, that's a long time ago. Um And it's called What We Do in the Summer. What We Do in the Summer. My heart has a beat like the swollen summer sun. Blood flows from chest like solar flares jump rope and I lose the day inside the weeks in the months. I remember what it's like to belong. Me and goddess vibe to the rhythm of the molten cores in us. I'm humbled by mountains. She is tectonic. Summer is the season of clean slates. Summer is the free time, be battered by the tides, be blazing seaweed out of sandcastles, be silent time. This is what we do in the summer. 
If you lace your eyelashes together tight like a corset binds ribs, you can see Earth the way sun does. I held planet like blown glass, a prism she broke me, red to violet I am, scattered at the top of her. Imagination is two Venus fly traps planted in my eye sockets, digesting pupils soft as a fly's wing. I feel the weight of the atmosphere on my back. Great lakes reflect sapphire colors that are momentary. If you wear a clock around your neck, count the ticks instead of beats from a grapefruit heart. So I dropped the idea of now a second ago, tied my spine to my wrist like the string of a balloon lifted. Thoughts strum the horizon, caverns of sound drape my shoulders. This is what we do in the summer. My legs turn back into tree trunks, my hair back into jungle, words back into sound, into vibration. I am first philosopher to realize earth is round. I am first woman before mind was confined to skull. I am creature. This is what God's hair must smell like seven miles deep. The end. <laughs> See, you get it now. You get it now. I get it. I I, I get it. But like, yeah, I, we won't talk about the snapping. That was amazing. Yeah. We'll talk, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Honestly, I think that's the one of the last poems that I ever slammed with. Like the last time I ever slammed. Really. Um, the last slam I was ever in when I was a freshman in college. I think I slammed with this poem. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. And like, yeah, your your reading is you have it. I mean, they're your words. Yeah, it's a little bit easier. (laughs) It's yeah, the reading adds like I mean if I were to read it, I would love it. But the Mm. the, you reading it is adds like another ten layers to it that like of understanding, enjoyment, I mean, and probably many mm-hmm. other things that I can identify. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Great, good. I love it. I love it. I do I'll have another one if you want me to read another I one. Do. Or do you want I, do. Read another I do. I was suddenly thinking, like, where... I have too many notebooks. Like, I didn't even think about Because <laughs> I was like, where... Well, I mean... I totally forgot I had this manuscript on this computer or in my email, actually. Well, I'm I'm sure I don't even, I wouldn't even think that I have mine in a digital form. I'm like a pen and paper Mm, writer mm -hmm, a lot. mm -hmm. I would like the tap. Yeah, that's definitely my first drafts are always. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because there's one or two that would be fun. Another time. Another time. But yeah. Another time. Yeah, I want to hear another Claire Forrest. Well, so this one is somewhat relevant. Um, uh, and hopefully it'll be not, I mean, not like, well, yeah, crazily wait, enough. Way, so, to sell, way to sell it, Claire. <laughs> I'm like, it's kind of relevant. And then I'm like, no, it's actually really relevant. <laughs> um, so this I wrote in 2018, or sorry, 2008. Um, when I was living in Cairo for the first time um, in undergrad as a study abroad student. 
Um, and just the only one thing that's like in Arabic, I think. Um, there's one word in Arabic. Um, it's Guinea or Guinea, which is just the um, like uh, the the currency in Egypt in Arabic. Um, it's a, it's an Egyptian pound, but in Arabic you say a guinea. And then at the beginning, um, there's the name of of like one of the uh, newspapers called Al Ahram, which just means the pyramids. So it's also it's about Earth and stuff. So it's called I call her Atlas. Ahram, Al Ahram, she solicits gritty. The world on her shoulder, the stack of newspapers she traded for a thatch of wheat or a sack of garlic bulbs in the urbanizing moment of her history, the woman cloaked and hunchbacked snakes through patrons at Horeya Bar, where beer has gone up two guineas since February. I call her Atlas. The information reads right to left, leaves me in a battle of translation sounding consonants incorrectly vowels lost amid the facts before I reach a moment of punctuation. It is easy to forget the world when you are in another. My father sends me articles on what is going on in Egypt. Strikes which kept me from class, riots up the Nile in Cairo, a friend thrown into an unmarked van in Talat Harb Square for taking pictures of the girls shredding bread with their teeth, spitting it into the groans of traffic. We fret. President Mubarak will ban Facebook for organizing somewhere black on his 80th birthday, increased pay on Thursday, cut subsidies on Monday. Poor is the sidewalk, uneven, littered or non-existent, ravaged tiles, snot-nosed children sell tissues where I smoke shisha, drink tea with mint, they beg for half a guinea. Poverty is violence, whether dictatorship or democracy, yet I am untouched, though heartbroken, and continue to check my email for updates on the world, devour New York Times slideshows of the other side, which is not so far. For once, I am the addict to panhandling images, a kindergarten playground in a sea of debris, a patched child, resting soldiers green like broccoli or four-leaf clovers, what luck to have them save me. A mother sways, building behind her, mouth cracked, earth below her child's school. I cannot hear her wailing, only see her expression, seismic in its destruction. I know nothing of rubble inundation or asphyxiation, nothing more, metaphor, earthquake, cyclone, drought, who carries the world on her shoulder? There is reading to do, always a tumbling building, but it is never mine, forever exploding, but never mind. people are dying, but never mind. closest to news I have ever been. So the images in the last part of that were actually from an earthquake in China that took place while I was in Egypt that semester. Mm. I, I picture so like you the, like sitting, looking out over the street when you started writing this. Like, had did you write this when you mm, 
we're looking at an unfamiliar setting. Were you like observing a foreign country? So, I mean, like the initial image is takes place in Horea Bar, which is a really famous historical bar, you know, where, um, you know, politics are discussed and, um, you know, going back to like the 50s, 40s and 50s in Egypt. So it was taking place in this bar that is just kind of chaotic place. And this woman um, would come in and have a whole stack of newspapers on her shoulder, um, calling out the name of the uh, newspaper. So um, in a way, I was like that image is from a perspective of observation because, um, you know, I was probably sitting in Horaya writing, you know, being a, like, you know, I'm sitting drinking a beer in Cairo, like, <laughs> like with a scarf. Is that how you, know, you like, talked? Is that how you talked <laughs> you there? You just Definitely. got off the plane. You when were I like, speak in, I when I speak in Arabic, that's <laughs> how my accent sounds like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so definitely, um, I mean, it's crazy, like kind of the images that, uh, that, that this poem, like the memories, you know, like the, the experienced mm. images that this brings up for me. Like I just can feel myself like, on a, in, in a particular street in Cairo when I when I read this and yeah. um, like when I got to the park <laughs> poverty is violence I was like oh my god I don't know if I'm be able to finish reading this like holy shit yep. I, I like knew it was relevant but then I was like oh this is really relevant really relevant yeah. um, <laughs> and I had to like take, catch my breath because mm-hmm. you know I feel like in some ways, like reading the, you know, checking the news, reading the news, and and knowing that there's something out there, but it's not affecting me. There's no. certainly nothing that I can do about it. Particularly then, I was like, I'm not Egyptian. Like, I can't, you know, talk to my local politician, or you know, even going out to protest would be like, first of all, dangerous. But like, what are you fucking doing here, foreigner? Like, you're a spy, or you're a spy. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just kind of tripping me out a little bit right now. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, then let's see. That was 2008. So 2009, 2010, 2011, three years later was when the, the revolution erupted. Um, and, you know, tied to these very things that I was talking about, about Mubarak, um, you know, um, and the uh, fucking trickery that our governments play on us. You know, like he didn't want people protesting on his birthday, which was that over a weekend. So he increased pay for like all governmental employees, basically. Um, There's, you know, the, the, the government sector like employs the majority of people in Egypt, because like I said, it's, you know, a very centralized um, government and um, all of that. And then on Monday after his birthday, he cut gas subsidies. Um, I think it was gas subsidies. So that image of like the, the there were girls 
who were AUC students, American University and Cairo students, um, who were actually in, so they were in one of like a really big, not Tahrir Square where the revolution took place, but a square nearby there where also there were protests. They were in the middle of the square um, because like obviously when you cut any kind of gas subsidy, everything else goes up, like the cost of bread goes up because of, you know, the cost of um, everything. So they were, um, and maybe he even cut bread subsidies, I don't remember, but they were like shredding bread with their teeth and just like spitting it into the street. It was like, oh, I've never uh, experienced that before. I mean, Ann Arbor is a very like progressive town, but there was never any you know, like the hash bash was the closest to any kind of like political protest that yeah. I had ever attended with the exception of like, I went to DC in 2004 for the women's March then. Um, but that was, you know, several years prior to this. And that was relatively tame, you know, it was like a bunch of women in pink shirts walking around the national mall and like not yeah. much really yeah. happened, you know? So it was just like, Oh wow, this is how, this is how you protest um, when things are actually dire and when, you know, so mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, 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 and also when, you know, um, there isn't the illusion that your government is taking care of you, you know? And I think that, Hopefully that illusion will be dropping for most, I mean, for people who it hadn't already. Yeah. Um, that, um, that, you know, they don't give a fuck friend. Like Not they want you, they would, yeah, they, they would rather see you dead than have it, you know, cost them $10 yeah. or whatever, you know? So, um, so yeah. So, but, and it, and also like just the, the, um, connection between Trump and the current Egyptian president, President Sisi, they're like bros, you know. Trump is like, how can I be more like the Egyptian dictators, like taking fucking notes? So, um, anyway. Wow. Yeah. Wow, Claire. I'm so glad, you know, I was pushing you to write a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Because I love how you write. I want yeah, to know. Good. I know. I am still working on that. Okay. I am still working on that. Um, uh, I wonder if we're going to hear book, book review. <laughs> Maybe. I started, only writing, I started writing something the other night that I think I was too emotional about. To, to, mm -hmm. It was too big. I couldn't rein it in. It was yeah. like... Yeah. It was like a letter to my future godchildren trying to explain the different paths that we could have taken at this moment. Mm -hmm. you know, it was sort of like mm -hmm. me, because mm -hmm. I have my niece who's about to have a baby in June and my friend Jill who's about to have a baby in June. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there, um, there's a lot of babies being born right now. My friend Shay works at St. Joe's and she's like, oh, we're pretty isolated. You know, I'm not worried about it. You know, her, her husband works at a grocery store. She works at a hospital. So, like, besides the kids being home from school, they feel relatively normal. And, like, mm -hmm. babies are going to be born, whatever. And I'm yeah. thinking, what happens right now and how the world shifts for these babies, for this generation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how we explain to them when they look back on it historically what we mm -hmm. did, what we could have done. 
what what were people thinking, <laughs> you know, yeah. how, will, how will it look from the future kind of thing. And I was trying to write a letter, like two versions of a letter. Like one was, you know, our ego was broken and we were humbled and we remembered that we were part of the earth and that we were all connected mm -hmm. and we became more collaborative and, you know, the mystics rose up and you know what I mean? It's, it's like a beautiful thing could happen. And then the other letter was kind of like an apology letter. Like, I'm sorry mm -hmm. for our sins. I'm sorry yeah. for the sin of greed and pride. I'm sorry for standing by and not mm -hmm. saying anything. Like, how do yeah. you explain to your children <laughs> who in 25 years are going to be saying, how could you guys have not seen that? <laughs> yeah. Why didn't you do yeah. anything? And yeah. what, what do you want to be true at that point? Or what do you, yeah. you know, or it could be that the power of kind of love and logic and sharing and caring about other people and going back to a different kind of medicine and going back to honoring the earth in a certain way and mm. honoring ancient practices and releasing yeah. bureaucracies and sort of false structures crumbling to a new age. That yeah. could be pretty wonderful. That could be like the dawning of an era of, resilience mm -hmm. and a new state of mind that would be beautiful you know yeah. and that story of like hi godmother how did we get this way and you tell them mm -hmm. oh we were at a, we were at a crossroads and we decided mm -hmm. to so anyway that's what I've been trying to write but it's so big yeah. right now it's like it's kind of like what what do I want to say to my godchild in well I mean I think I've, they're definitely separate poems but they could yeah. be different poems that have the same title. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's like my first feeling when you're telling me about this. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, and for me, when I think about that idea of what are we going to think looking back on this, um, my like first concern is like, who's writing the history books you know what I mean like who is actually um going to be the one who decides how this story is told on an official level right mm -hmm. um you know I see frequently um or have seen in the past couple of weeks I'm on Twitter a lot and um a few retweets from you know, Generation Z, I guess, like high school seniors, and they're, you know, saying that in their U.S. history classes, they don't learn anything about the war in Iraq or the war in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just not something that is even discussed. Um, and I think maybe part of it is it's like, it's still pretty, you know, it's What do we say? Weird. Yeah, what do we say? I yeah, and what do right? I can't explain it. Do you, you know? Like I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know why it's happening. Yeah. You know, um, I don't. So it just, you know, obviously it it just touches back on the sort of age old saying that history is written by the victors. Um, 
And it's worrisome to me because at the end of the day, uh, even though, you know, God willing, Trump will not be reelected um, because of this mismanagement. Yeah. Um, but still, the same people have profited off of this um, kind of from day one. Um, and as far as who really has the power to say what gets printed in a national core curriculum history textbook is probably going to be people who aren't going to write about the fact that, um, you know, certain senators or Congress people like sold shares and then bought stock in telehealth weeks before, um, you know, there was any any official admittance that um, something was going on, you know. Yeah. Um, and even now, it's like it's already being improperly written, right? Because the there is no testing now, but there also was no testing in February and January. Like I'm, I think my mom had it, for example. I think I might have had it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I know several people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when I'm thinking about, so have you ever met, sometimes I think about you talk to someone who went through something that you hear about a lot in history, whether it was like the Detroit riots or Mm -hmm. Woodstock or, you know, they stormed the beaches of Normandy, like whatever it is, you, you hear a story and everybody's story is different and how they rolled yeah. out of it is different and how they mm-hmm. created their life after it is different. So my letter to my godchild is how did how did this affect how you and yours interact mm-hmm. with the world? What did it do? Yeah. Because yeah. some people can just go into shock and denial, anger, some people can go into, I'm going to become a loving force for good. Some people yeah. can become like industrial activists. Some people can return to the earth and you know, like all the things they thought they were, if they didn't lose their job, maybe they're just going like, why the fuck was I working that job? You know, like, I feel like yeah. there's going to be such a like shake up that the mm-hmm. letter to my God child, I want it to be like, we, we, we kept the faith, you know, we, Mm -hmm. we believed in like the power of our spirits. We loved each other. We, we, we took, we, we were grateful for certain things. We, you know, took it upon ourselves to teach the next generation differently, whatever it is that I can control, just me, Mm -hmm. not the whole thing, but just, you know, people come out of big traumatic events in different ways. And those little decisions about how you're going to move forward, I think are so they build the next era of your life. You know, if you spend too long in the fear, in the trauma, then that's going to start affecting the next, the other people around you. you. You see what I'm saying? Because it's yeah. because it's a big collective trauma. We have to have bigger healing energy to handle it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that that's, that's yeah. 
it totally has to start with you because for me, I'm like always, and this was like even before, I'm always kind of like, I let the like enormity of like all of the stuff going on sort of overwhelm me. And then it's like, I kind of, it's not that I don't talk to people or vote or do, I, but I don't do much. It kind of renders me like inert and I don't really do as much as I should. And then I feel guilty, but mm-hmm. I think it's, and it's important to remember, and my dad always kind of tells me this in like his gruff, uh, you know, country factory dad way. And that's like mm-hmm. not a insult. It's a compliment, but it, he's just like, because if I'll, I'll start complaining about like, you know, whatever Trump this or like the kids in the, at, you know, separating the families in like, it goes on and on, you know, and I'm like very, and I tell him not that he's disagrees with me just because it's like someone I trust. So I'm not talking about him. He's like, he's like, you need to calm down. He's like, just worry about yourself first. And at first I get mad at him for saying that because I, mm-hmm. it, it, at first it seems like he's not caring about them. But then I realize that he's like, you can't do anything about them unless you, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily selfishness, but it's like, if you don't know what you're doing, if I, well, me personally, if I'm like so scattered all over the place, it's like, I'm not, I'm going to accomplish nothing really. Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes sense. Totally. <laughs> My thought and the way that I say it, it's sort of like all over the place. So it's like, totally. I think like it, 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 if you start with yourself, you, you start with yourself, you don't end with yourself. You start with yourself and then it can like radiate mm-hmm. outward. And that's like what kind of, like if you wanted to be like a, you know, an environmental activist or something like that, it's just like you look inside and see what you want to do, what you want to accomplish. And it's like, or who you are. And then you can, and then you can go do it. You know, you kind of got to, I don't know if that makes sense at all. So. Of course. And it makes sense on a big scale. And I it, like it. I've, I've always kind of like thought that there is a poem actually that uh, I think about a lot <laughs> and I don't read it a lot because it's like, it kind of like holds me accountable and or it, it, it makes me feel like guilty for not doing it. Um, I guess what I'm saying is I always kind of want, I feel responsible for, it's one thing to feel empathy and concern and try to help people, but it's like, I can't feel responsible for the whole world or even my yeah. whole family. Mm-hmm. I can only take care of myself. And I think the best way, like, for example, just to help my family members, you know, um, would not be by managing them would be by taking care of myself. And then like, even if it's just by example. So yeah, I don't know. It's just like, it has to, it's like the serenity prayer. <laughs> it kind of is. My dad, my dad mentions that to me all the time because he was, well, is, even though he hasn't drank for you know, 25 or 30 years. Yeah. And he says that. He's like, hey, worry about yourself. Take care of what you can take care of. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and actually this other thing he told me, he's sort of like, uh, <laughs> He says stuff like that all the time, but this I think of all the time. And I thought of, and I, it was like when I first started acting, my very first play, like as an adult, because I did a couple when I was a kid, but like my first one, um, it was like I was in it. I knew exactly, I was like, this is where I belong. This is what I should be doing. Yeah. And right away, even then, I was like, should I move somewhere to pursue it? Um, and it's not about 
you know, you want to be good at it and you want to like work with the best, but it wasn't about like, I would, I used to say, I don't think I'll make it or I don't know if I'll make it. And not in the sense like everyone will know my name or like be the marquee or on the front page of the DVD on the title. It's not that. It's just like if I will be able to do what I want and have a success at it. Because it's like, and as I've grown, it's like I want to excel at it. Yeah. Um, But anyway, even then when that I was having like a little meltdown and I was like, oh, you know, I was like kind of thumb sucking too. I was like, well, I don't know if I'll make it. And he was like, this is exactly what he sounds like. He's like, Hey man, let me tell you something. Life ain't about making it. It's only about trying. And I was like, and I was literally like, what? It was like very profound. It's like simple and profound. Cause it's like, it, it, it's just cause like so much is not in your control. It's like you, you just try your best. Yeah. And if you don't do your best one day, well, you can try again tomorrow. You don't have to like feel guilty. Oh, anyway. Yeah. It's, it's, it's simple, simple truth. Hey, yeah. have you got a Mary Oliver on deck? Yeah, I've got one that goes with what I just said. That was oh, a yes. long yes, I guess yes, a long way to use that because it applies to me personally because I, I, I think it's like, at first I thought it was sort of like applied to me like professionally, like with what I want to do. But then it was just like, no, it's more like with my life because I, anyway, I'll just read it. What's it called? What's it called? All right. It's called The Journey, Mary Oliver. Oh yeah. I love this one. You know this one? All right. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice. Though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried, but you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible, it was already late enough and a wild night and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, The stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Love it. I mean, she's got like one for every occasion, in my opinion. Yeah. But that one's really, for me, it's just like, I'm pretty much like cry every time I read it, even to myself. Cause it's like, that's what I should be doing. Cause I always am like looking back and like trying to, you know, I, I consider it codependency. I'm sure, I don't know. I mean, I probably should see a therapist, but I can't afford it right now. So. <laughs> But, you know, it's like it, it applies to like if you doing something you want to do, but it also is like. And I don't mean to like throw my family under the bus in every way, in any way, because they're actually wonderful. But it's like I and it's not even their fault, really. It's me trying. I'm always trying to like it's like I have to make sure everything is OK with them mm-hmm. before I do what I want to do or not before I do it, but before I like fully enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's like, if I, it's like, um, 
and maybe it's, I'm sure it's codependency. And I, cause I was reading about it. This is years ago. And it's like, cause since my dad was an alcoholic, this is, it's like a, it's like a common thing, even in the families of people, even if they've been sober, like your whole life, like if he's been sober almost my whole life, um, it's still like that. There's still that something that you, anyway, I'll stop talking. Don't be the, don't we be the man that just keeps like talking, but. I want to hear, um, didn't we do, who, who is yes? That's Rilke, I think. Oh, okay. I want to read this one. Because didn't yeah, Allison okay. read this last time? Well, that's one of Allison's favorite. Yeah. Okay, okay. It's called Yes. And sometimes it all arrives at once. The anxiety, the fear, the voices that scratch your confidence like a chalkboard. And somehow all the oxygen in the room suddenly becomes water. And you begin to wonder if you have what it takes to grow gills. You wonder if you can blend in with the fish. You wonder if you will ever breathe again. And the answer is not every building that shakes will collapse. The answer is not everything that chips will crumble. The answer is this is temporary. And yes, you will. Yeah, it's definitely not Rilke, but yeah, that was. Who was that? It was a contemporary like like a slam poet. I think I forgot his name. I think it was an African yeah. man. Yeah. It was, it was, it was not, it was not real cut, but, but that was, I, I have it in her last shoot. I'll have to, I'll have to say who it is because. Yeah, no, I can look at it. Give credit, but. No, that's that's really, one right now. <laughs> yeah. I can look it up. I got it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, for time's sake, um, Claire, do you want to do, or, or is there one more that, do you guys each want to do one more? Or Claire, do you want to do one um, at least? I can't. I'm having a hard time deciding what I want to read. Um, because I looked through, I don't really feel like there's anything else of mine that I really want to read. Okay. Um, I wish I could find something that kind of felt relevant, but there's, the ones I'm thinking of are not in this manuscript, unfortunately. Um, but I do have, I have two two collections that are relatively recent that are both friends of mine. So this first one that I've been reading recently is by Adam Faulkner. It's called The Willies that came out just a few weeks ago or maybe two months ago. Um, he was someone who I went to high school with, who's a few years older than me. But when we got to college, we were both at University of Michigan together. And we were in like the same writing cohort called, called WordWorks. Um, and so this just came out. Um, and um, there, there's a few themes running through it. Um, and one of them is about his father, who was an alcoholic. So um, there are a couple of poems in there that I could read that I like. Actually, there's one that I've only like skimmed and one that I really like. So I could read either one of those. And then this other um, collection is called Odes to Lithium by my friend Shira Ehrlichman, who is the partner of another person who I did poetry with in high school and college as well. Um, and this is about Ode to Lithium. She's bipolar, um, and it's about basically um, 
you know, sort of falling in love with her medication in a nutshell, obviously. Um, it's kind of about her journey um, through, um, you know, mental illness and different institutions um, and then finding a drug, you know, that, that, that works for her or an element really that works for her. Um, and there's one poem that I really love, but it's not probably the best thing to to finish on. <laughs> um, but he, there's another one that, and I've heard her read, I've been to a couple of readings uh, when this book was coming out last fall, I think. Yeah, last fall, because I went to New York for the release in New York. Um, anyway, so I've heard her read this poem. So um, anyway, which, I don't know. Um, be the better option than maybe the ones about alcoholism. Um, well, well, I've got uh, another one we can Jeff, end you have another one? Yeah, but that's a decent, it's a good, better, it's like, a, no, I can just read another Mary Oliver. That's always kind of nice to end. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's why don't we just, why don't we just end on, a, on let's, let's, let's end on, hold on, let's see. There was one I was looking for, but if I can't find it, I'm good. Um, oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, let's end on Mary Oliver. And so we'll, we'll end on Mary Oliver. So in wrapping up, I'll say um, directly to Claire and Jeff that I'm so grateful that you guys want to you know get together and talk and um and that you know i hope if you're feeling disconnected you'll reach out and then i guess anybody that's listening i would say the same thing um reach out you know and find someone that can calm your fears or just I think I switched back and forth between having my fears calmed and just wanting to do like normal things, like totally accept my situation and just mm-hmm. cook the rice, you know, and then sweep the floor and then yeah. fluff the pillow and then take a walk and just not even worry about any big thing except the fact that it was a sunny day and the spring is so much here that I can open the windows when I sleep and that's really nice and just like let all the other big mm-hmm things go and keep it really simple and so I wanna and I and I pray for for y'all and I pray for you know I I sit and and just know I think it's a comforting thought to know that there are people who sit and lift each other up in love in their minds and that's powerful Mm. thing you know it's easy thing to do it's a powerful thing to do, and uh, I love the thought of all people around the world kind of like lifting up other people that they love and trying their hardest and getting down to what matters and all those things. And so, to me, one of his continual learning and one of it is connection with friends. And so, I'm always so super grateful to read with people, and I can't wait till it's in person again. Um, but uh, even even 
when it's not, I'm still so grateful. So um, let's let's read. Let's end on Mary Oliver. Um, Jeff, what's the name of it? Uh, Mornings at Blackwater. Mornings at Blackwater. Okay. And thank you for hosting and having us. And you're here. welcome. Yeah, yeah, you're so welcome. All right. By the way, I looked at other that one that you read. It's called Yes. Rudy Francisco. Rudy Francisco. Oh, okay. Senate. And right. and there's more. Here's I'll tell you what I am gonna do, and you guys can just say, hey, let's do a whole nother poetry session. We can just do that mm -hmm. because, like tomorrow night, I'm reading a short story by you know Brian Cox, right, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. If Not he, very well, but I know him. Yeah. Yeah. So he wrote a mystery, he wrote a little mystery short story, like you know, thirty yeah. pages. And it got into a little collection. And so we're going to re read that tomorrow. So if you can read 30 pages tomorrow, by tomorrow night, and you want to do it, that's great. And then <laughs> Plant Spirit Medicine is a book about, um, that's like this group of women in the cannabis industry. And actually then a couple of random comedians <laughs> on Tuesday night are reading Plant Spirit Medicine. And that's about... Um, that, you know, the people who understand plant spirits in a way that they can heal using the spirits of the plants. And that's been a very comforting book to read during this time because it just is a great reminder that we're connected to the earth in such a way and we can heal each other through ways that don't include Western modern medicine. And yeah. it's a very hopeful grounding book for me. Uh, because we're humble, like passengers on this planet kind of thing. And so that's yeah. Tuesday. So I'm like, whatever anybody wants to read, <laughs> talk about, I'm down. Yeah. Like, tell me, I'll read with you. It'll be great. We can talk about it. We'll connect. It'll be beautiful. So we could do it every day. <laughs> I don't, so if you have suggestions, yeah. lay them out there. Okay. So Jeff's going to take us out on Mary Oliver. Mornings at Blackwater. For years. Every morning, I drank from Blackwater Pond. It was flavored with oak leaves and also, no doubt, the feet of ducks. And always it assuaged me from the dry bowl of the very far past. What I want to say is that the past is past, and the present is what your life is. And you are capable of choosing what it will be, darling citizen. So come to the pond, or the river of your imagination, or the harbor of your longing. And put your lips to the world, live your life. <laughs> Lovely. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. So much. Thanks, Mary. Yeah. So this was our, our first, Thank you. Our, our third recorded but first i think successful <laughs> reads and reads, reads, and reads quarantine edition. and uh and i'm so happy to uh to share it with y'all <laughs> okay goodbye here that build the big guns here that build the death planes here that build all the bombs Here that hide behind walls Here that hide behind disks 
I just don't want you to know I can see through your masks You that never done nothing But build to destroy You play with my world Like it's your little toy You put a gun in my hand And you hide from my eyes And you turn and run farther When the fast bullets fly Like Judas of old You lie and deceive A world war can be won You want me to believe But I see through your eyes And I see through your brain Like I see through the water that runs down my drain You fasten all the triggers For the others to fire And then you sit back and watch When the death count gets higher You hide in your mansion While the young people's blood Flows out of their bodies and is buried in the mud He's thrown the worst fear That can ever be hurled Fear to bring children Into the world For threatening my baby Unborn and unnamed You ain't worth the blood that runs in your veins How much do I know But to talk out of turn You must say that I'm young You might say I'm unlearned But there's a one thing I know I'm younger than you Even Jesus would never forgive what you do Let me ask you one question Is your money that good? Will it buy you forgiveness? Do you think that it could? I think you will find When your death takes its toll All the money you made will never buy back your soul And I hope that you die And your death will come soon I'll follow your casket By the pale afternoon And I'll watch while you're lowered Down to your deathbed And I'll stand over your grave Till I'm sure that you're dead